Well, good morning. Hello. <laughs> good morning. Good to see everybody here today. Let's stand together, all right? I want you to sing out. And let's all make a joyful noise to the Lord this morning as we come into his presence with singing. Amen. Let's sing it out.
Well, good morning. Good morning. We are so excited that you're here worshiping with us. You can stay standing, seated, whichever you want to do. We're going to be a few minutes. I just want to welcome you. My name is Chase. I get to serve here. Me and my wife do. We get to serve and worship here with all of you, and we just love doing it. If you're a first-time guest with us, or whether it's your first time here in a long time, maybe you're here every week. We're just delighted that you're here. If it is your first time here with us, we've got these connections cards right out in front of the pew. You can grab one, fill it out. Or if you have any prayer requests, that's such, a, that's such an awesome thing that I know the staff prays over every week if there's any prayer requests. Grab those, write it out, drop in the offering plate that we're about to pass around. Um, we've got our offering envelopes there as well as we continue here in a moment worshiping with our giving because God has given us so much. So part of our worship is not only do we sing, we'll break open the word, but we'd also give. We're not giving back to God, but we're giving in accordance with what he's called us to do in an act of worship. Just really quick, and I'm going to pray. As I was meditating and thinking this morning, I came across and, and spent time in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter number 15, verse number 7 says this, But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And that hit me hard this morning because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you've been this week. I don't know if your hands are weak or if your hands are strong. But here's the thing. We can take courage in knowing that our work is going to be rewarded. And it's not any kind of reward we can, we could, we can do ourselves, but it's, a, it's the reward of the finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's pray and let's worship in that reward this morning. Father, we, we thank you, God, because you are a big, big God that does big, big things in and through us. God, we're thankful that you've invited us to take part in this mission that is the gospel. God, we are thankful that we get to gather together collectively and worship you, God, with the singing. God, because it's not our breath, it's your breath that fills our lungs that you created. We are thankful for that, Father. We're thankful that we get to sit and dissect your word this morning that you gave to us, God, the story of redemption, the story of Jesus pointing our lives towards you. God, we are thankful for that this morning. And God, we are thankful that we get to give and worship through our giving because you have given us so much. And we are thankful for that. God, so be with us this morning during this time of worship. Let us today have our minds set towards you and your work. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You are Alpha and
sing that chorus again. Give you all.
Christ our glory. Amen.
Father, we love you so much and thank you for the privilege this morning to stand and sing your praises. Father, you are a good, great, and mighty God. Father, you're awesome and wonder. God, you are Christ, our glory. God, you are all of the things, God, that so richly describe you and the goodness, God, that you are in our life. God, so we thank you and give you praise this morning. Look forward to a wonderful time. Pray you'd be with our pastors. He brings a message to us now. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mike, and the band for leading us in worship this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We are finally in chapter 2 of the book of James. And as you're turning there, so appreciate you being here. No, we have a lot of families out sick this morning, so keep them in your prayers as they're out sick. Um, but I appreciate you being here together for corporate worship today. And so James chapter 2. And this is probably a, a familiar passage of Scripture. I, I assume the book of James is rather familiar in its just simple practicality for the Christian life. That James takes the wisdom of the gospel and simply works it out in the Christian life. And so James is incredibly practical in that regard. And so today in our, in our text, James is going to be discussing really the sin of partiality. Now, we would all admit that there are things that we are partial to. And this is rather evident in the fact that yesterday was a Saturday in the South. There were teams that you wanted to win yesterday, right? And I hate to say it, there were teams that you wanted to see lose yesterday, right? Probably some. Like the University of Georgia's parent campus in Tuscaloosa. I'll let that one sink in for the ride home later. There was something exciting about seeing that game last night. 
Now, I'm not saying have, cheering for a football team is a sin, but we, we, we're, we're used to this, right? We're used to having favorites, being partial to something. That there are certain foods that we like and we don't like. You've heard me talk about that before. That we have those things, those things that we are partial to. But the issue is when it moves beyond just having a taste for something or not having a taste for something, but when we begin to become partial to people. And that's what James is talking about here in this sin of partiality. And so we're going to be looking at verses, two, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. And so let's read through it, then we'll notice a few things. James writes, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and, a fi and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for just this opportunity we have to corporately worship through song and now through the breaking open of your word. And so God, we pray as we turn our attention to your text, would you speak to us? God, let us hear your voice today and we'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. And so as we see James really offers no black and white. There's no gray area here. James cuts right to the point and meets us right where we are. And so three things I want us to see. First is the foundation for no partiality. The foundation for no partiality. Going back to verse 1. It says, my brothers, show no partiality. So he, he gives this command to the early church. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What is our foundation for not showing partiality? Because it's our natural instinct that there are certain people we will gravitate towards and other people we want to stand back from. So what is our foundation to do that? It's the gospel. It's having our eyes fixed on Jesus. That is the foundation of not showing partiality. So he ties it to Jesus. He ties it to the faith. He describes Christ as the Lord of glory. 
So that's the foundation with which he says no partiality. And here's why the gospel is important. Because just as we worked through the gospel a few weeks ago, we talked about creation, God created, and everything was good. And then the fall comes about, and that goodness is broken. So what keeps me from showing partiality? It's the understanding that at the foot of the cross is level ground. That no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, we all stand in need of the gospel. No matter your socioeconomic status, we all stand in need of the gospel. No matter how much money your family had growing up, you stood in need of the gospel. That that is man's greatest need. And having power, wealth, and influence does not change that need. And so if I interact with someone out in the community, and this person over here has a lot of money, and this person over here has no money, both of those individuals still have the greatest need, and it's Jesus. It's both of their needs. And the gospel is the answer to both of them. So how do I show no partiality? It's understanding the gospel. That's how I can show no partiality. It's understanding that all of our greatest need is the gospel and that when we go out into, into the community, their greatest need is the gospel. And so we see this foundation. It is the faith in Christ. So we see the foundation for no partiality, but then James gives us an illustration and we see the action of partiality. So James gives us a for example, a for instance. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. So he, he wants to give them this picture. And so he just kind of says, imagine if you will, you're sitting in church and interestingly enough, this is where I think James is a very early book written in the New Testament. The term assembly there is actually the Greek term for synagogue. So likely when the early church was still meeting in synagogues. But that's neither here nor there. But he says, imagine you're sitting in church and you look to the back door and two people come in. And one of them is dressed in the nicest clothing and has just got gold rings. He's blinged out like that dude has money. And then you see somebody else walk in in just some shabby clothing. Like, let's, let's just be honest right, right now as we're sitting here in Airline Baptist Church. Imagine if we had those doors open, you could see into the parking lot, and you saw somebody pull up in a Rolls Royce, and then somebody else pulled up in a 93 Corolla. If you got a 93, I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade, okay? But which one is going to grab your attention? 
It's going to be the Rolls Royce. Like, man, let's get him in here and let's get him connected with how to give. Like, that's, I'm not going to ask any other questions. So here's, here's how you can give to Airline Dodgers Church. But that's what draws our attention, does it not? So James gives this illustration. Say that two people walked in, one dressed in the nicest clothing and one dressed in the poorest clothing. And he says, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. So these two people walk into the church and all of a sudden the, the man that is wealthy has power, has influence, and it's obvious by the way he dresses. They say, you, you, you get the good seat. You, you get the place of honor. You get the space that's got the, the, the cushiest seat. We're going to give you a footstool. We're going to take care of you. You get this chair. But the one who comes in who's dressed in shabby clothing, it's just you, you go stand over there or you can sit on the floor. And here's what's interesting about this is one of the commentaries I was reading this week made this point that to sit in the good place or in the good spot oftentimes meant that you had a footstool to sit on. Why? Because the floor was so disgusting, you didn't want your feet to rest on the floor, so you wanted your feet to rest on the footstool. So what does that say about the poor man? You, you can sit on the floor. It may be so disgusting that we wanted him to have his feet propped up, but for you, you can sit on the floor. So we see this partiality at play. This one man walks in, nice clothes, has wealth, has power, has influence. Come here, come here, come here. You get the good spot. This other man walks in with nothing, and he gets to sit on the floor. And James says this, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? Why is this an issue? Because this goes back to the gospel. That if we make distinctions, then we don't really understand the gospel. Because why? The gospel makes us all on an even playing field. That the foot of the cross is level ground. But if we start having elevated classes of Christians and we say okay because you've got wealth you've got power you've got influence we're going to sit you here but you on the other hand you don't have really anything to offer 
So you get this place over here. You can stand in the corner. You can sit on the floor. What have we done? We've made the foot of the cross uneven. And we have distorted the gospel in doing that. And it's really not difficult to make this application to today. Let's just be honest as a church. That illustration I just gave, somebody pulls in with a Rolls Royce, somebody pulls in in the 93 Corolla. We're probably going to flock to the person in the Rolls Royce. We're going to see that person. They've got something to offer. They've got something to give. And the person in the 93 Corolla just go, there's, there's coffee in the foyer. You, you, can get some, you can get some coffee and just find, find a seat somewhere. That that's the partiality that James is talking about. But understanding the gospel means both of them walk in. The person driving the Rolls Royce and the person driving the 93 Corolla, their biggest problem is not their bank account. Their biggest problem is not the car that they drive. Their biggest problem is not the house that they live in. Their biggest problem is where they will spend eternity. That's their biggest problem. And they both need the gospel. And we dare not distort it. We dare not make the foot of the cross uneven, but that all who come, come through Jesus. So we see the foundation for no partiality and then the action of partiality in the example that James gives. But then lastly, we see the problem of partiality. Verses five through seven. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? You see, here's the problem with making distinctions in the church and showing partiality in the church is that we will preach a message with our lips and say that Christ is enough. Christ is all that you need. But then in action, by showing partiality, we will tell the poor brother, we may say it, that Christ is all that you need, but we will treat him like he doesn't have enough. And say, by our actions, if you just had what the rich brother had, then you would have all that you need. Instead of consistently telling both, the rich brother and the poor brother, the brother who's got stacks of money and the brother who does not have two pennies to rub together, instead of telling both of them that Christ is enough, Christ is all that you need, that's the message for both. Instead of preaching a message to one and a different message to another. He says, 
but you have dishonored the poor man. But you have dishonored the poor man. This man who is already on the lowest of the totem pole of socioeconomic status, you've dishonored him even more. Why? Because they're rich in faith. They're heirs of the kingdom. But you've tried to preach a message that makes them heirs of this kingdom, this side of eternity. So you've dishonored him. Then he turns his attention and he says, are not the rich the ones who oppressed you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I love what James is saying here. Ultimately, at the end of at the end of the day, James is looking at the church. He's going, why would you show partiality? Why would you want to rub shoulders with the very ones who are persecuting you? Why would you want to rub shoulders with the ones who would oppress you, drag you off into court and blaspheme the name of Jesus? Why would you want to show partiality to them instead of the ones who are rich in the faith? You see, even as the church today, we can struggle with this. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I, I want to be liked. I want people to think well of us. But that should not be the main thing. We should not show partiality so that the culture and the world around us would think better of us. We should be known for the proclamation of the gospel, not demonstrating partiality because we think it can give us a leg up somewhere. But because of the gospel. So we see the foundation for no partiality, the action of partiality, and lastly, the problem of partiality. And this brings us this morning to our central idea It's rather simple. We are called to view people through the lens of the gospel. We are called to view people through the lens of the gospel. That how I interact with every single person should be filtered through the gospel. It should not be filtered through my personal preference. It should not be filtered through partiality. It should be filtered through the gospel. That whether or not you have a ton of money in the bank is not my greatest concern for you. Whether or not you know the resurrected king 
is. And that's viewing people through the lens of the gospel. So as we wrap up, just a few, couple points of application. Kind of personally and then corporately. I think a few couple points we can take from this. First, as believers, we cannot show partiality from personal agendas or affection. Let me take that first part. Have you ever encountered someone in your life that was super friendly and buddy-buddy with you as long as you were useful to them? And then the moment you ceased to be useful to them, all of a sudden they had nothing to do with you. Anybody ever encounter anybody like that? That is no way a Christian should handle that. We do not operate from personal agendas. That if the only relationship we have is whether or not I can use you to further my agenda is no way that a Christian should operate. Why? That is partiality. That I only want people around me that are useful to me. I only want people around me that can do something for me in return. That is not Christian. Why? Because that's not the gospel. Jesus didn't do that, did he? Jesus didn't go to the cross and say, this is for those who can do something for me in return. This is for those who can be useful to me. No. So I don't treat people with partiality so that I can further my own agenda. But then second, it's not my personal affection either. Like, let's just be honest, like there, especially like in the church world, like, listen, I, I, I love you. I care for you. But we all know there are some people that are just easier to get along with than others. Like let's just be honest about that. But that should not shape partiality. Like if I'm going to take what James says seriously, like we can replace the example. Like he does rich and poor. Like what if the example was the annoying and the easy to get along with? Like the annoying brother or sister in the faith, you get to go stand in the corner or sit on the ground. But the easy to get along with brother or sister in the faith, you get the good seat. That's not how the church should operate. That our own personal affections should not dictate that. Why? Because the church is a body of believers. We need one another. We need the church members who are easy to get along with, but we also need the church members who are annoying and difficult to get along with. And how do we do that? One of the things I, I love about Airline Baptist Church, I'm kind of chasing a rabbit here, but bear with me. Hopefully we'll skin it and we'll eat it before we get out of here. 
One of the things I love about Airline Baptist Church is every single Sunday I go to the foyer and it takes me a solid five to 10 minutes before anyone ever gets out there. Why? Because y'all are in here talking. And here's what I truly believe, Mike, and I know we've had this conversation that one of the signs of a healthy church is that the church members actually like being around each other. Like if you can wrap up the sermon, wrap up the invitation, and everybody's out of the parking lot and lights are off within five minutes, I do not believe that's a sign of a healthy church. But there's some Sundays, we got to run you people out of here. And I love it. It's one of the greatest joys of mine as a pastor is when I've got to say, you ain't got to go home, but you got to go somewhere else with this. Why? Because that's community. Like you, you want to drastically change your church experience. I fully believe this. It doesn't matter about the worship style. It doesn't matter about the set list doesn't matter about how good the sermon is. If you want to drastically change your church experience, come five minutes early and leave five minutes late. And spend time talking. I'm telling you, you will drastically change it. So as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, Our relationships cannot show partiality from personal agenda or personal affection. So our relationships within the church are built upon the gospel. It's not about whether or not you are useful to me or I am useful to you. It's not about whether or not I find your personality annoying or pleasing. It's about the gospel. But then second, corporately, as believers, we cannot show partiality in our evangelism and discipleship. One of the things that I also love about airline is kind of our our motto around here, that we are Christ-driven, community-focused. We're Christ-driven, community-focused. That our aim is reaching this community and making disciples of this community. That is why we exist. That is our sole purpose. And then by extension, sending out those disciples to reach the nations. That's why we exist as a church. And so we should show no partiality in that. And listen, I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not saying this to throw any shade at other pastors or other churches in the area. But I'm not overly big on using the term multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. And here's why. Because that is not the end goal that is a byproduct of the end goal. 
So our goal is to reach the community. And if we are effectively reaching the community and our community is multi-generational and multi-ethnic, we will be those things. And if our community, now hear me, if our community is multi-generational and multi-ethnic and we are not, then we have failed to reach our community. That's the hard side of that. Like I said, I'm not throwing any shade. I've got buddies of mine that like to use that language. So don't go to work tomorrow and be like, hey, my pastor dissed your church yesterday. I didn't. But why we use the terminology that we use? So that we reach our community. And that by extension, by us reaching the community, we will be those things if we are truly reaching our community without partiality. That our leadership will reflect our community as we disciple future leaders. But as we go out into our community, it is the sole purpose of proclaiming that gospel message without partiality. It is our purpose to disciple and raise others up without partiality. That our aim, our desire as a church is to see this community come to know Christ and walk deeply with him so that they in turn show people how to know Christ and walk deeply with him. That is our aim. That is our goal. As the band comes back to the stage, as we wrestle through this text, it's again, as we've seen in almost every week of the book of James, it's rather simple, but incredibly difficult. It's rather simple, but the application is incredibly difficult. Why? Because sometimes we can be stubborn people. I know nobody else in here is stubborn. Maybe it's just me. And we like what we like, and we dislike what we dislike, and And if we're honest, it can be easy to even take that over into people. There's certain personalities I get along with really well. And then there's other personalities I don't quite care for as much. But the issue is how sad is that when that creeps into the church? instead of being a body of believers, walking in unity to make the gospel message known to whoever enters in through the doors or to whoever we encounter out there. 
we begin to let those things creep in. Yeah, I'll, I'll share the gospel with that person, but I'm not quite comfortable sharing the gospel with that person. Or yeah, I'll love brother and sister so-and-so, but I'm really struggling to love brother or sister so-and-so. That that can creep into the church because that crept into the church in Jerusalem as James was writing this epistle. All the way back then, and we would be foolish today to think it can't creep in now. So how do we deal with this? We come back to the foot of the cross, back to the simple message of the gospel, and we fix our eyes back on that. You see, because when my eyes are fixed on that, I get back to the gospel. It's easy to share with the rich and the poor that walks in through the door. When I get back to the gospel at the feet, at the foot of the cross, then it's easier to love the difficult brother or sister in the faith and the less difficult brother or sister in the faith and not show partiality in those things. You see, the foundation of showing no partiality is the gospel. But then how do we return back to showing no partiality? It's getting back to the gospel. This is why the gospel is important. And so as we wrap up this morning, just want to encourage you, if you need to come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing to the side. But just to wrestle with the question, have I been showing partiality in my Christian life? Has there been those that I've withheld the gospel from out of my partiality? Has there been a brother or sister in the faith that I've withheld that relationship from because of my own partiality? Again, it's a difficult question, but one I believe we must wrestle with. So if you need to come pray, come pray. If you need somebody to pray with, I'll be standing to the side. But let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, would you speak to us now? Draw our hearts to you, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond today.
Amen. I appreciate you being here this morning. I'm just going to make one quick announcement, and uh, Chase is going to make a couple more before we dismiss. Um, I meant to mention this earlier. Next Sunday, we're going to kind of be starting something new, and so we're starting an airline connection class. And so here's what this is going to be. Um, every, every so often, we will have this class, and it's going to be immediately following worship on Sunday morning. We're going to go over to the fellowship hall. We're going to have a light lunch, and this first class is open to whomever would like to come. And so the purpose of this class is to learn more about airline, where we're going, what we're doing. If you have questions about airline, just to come be a part of it. And so maybe you're a longtime member and you're just kind of wondering where we're going, what we're doing, what's coming up. And encourage you to come be a part of that. Maybe you've recently joined within the past year. Same thing would encourage you. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're considering joining airline and becoming a member. Encourage you to come be a part of that lunch next Sunday. It's just going to be a light lunch. Um, and then we'll, we'll feed you, talk a little bit. And if you have any questions, you're more than welcome to ask any of those questions at that lunch. But the goal is that you can learn more about airline, where we're going, what we're doing, and how you can connect to what God is doing at Airline Baptist Church. And so that'll be next Sunday, immediately following. Just so we can get a head count, if you're interested in coming, um, just call the church this week or call me or call Mike and just let us know just so we can make sure we... You know, have enough food so that 75 people don't show up and we've got three Subway sandwiches, okay? Uh, we'll have a fishes and loaves kind of miracle. Um, but just give us a call next week or shoot us a text. Let us know that you're interested in coming just so we can get you plugged in, just get a quick head count, all right? And so with that said, I'm going to turn it over to Chase to close us out. I did hear, though, Pastor, that Miss Janice is handling the lunch, so I think we need to scratch light off of that because it's going to be an actual meal. There's no light lunch in the Welburn household. So anyway, no, again, just excited that, that you're here with us and worshiping. Just a few other quick things as, as, as Pastor Zach goes to the back. And if you are a first-time guest with us, we invite you to go back there, meet with him, chat with him. we got a small gift just to give you, I mean, we're feeding you, giving you gifts. I mean, it's pretty pretty awesome. So definitely want to check that out. Um, but just a few quick things. Don't forget about Operation Christmas Child. We got that happening where each month we're taking up something different. I think this month is toys and stuffed animals. So, of course, and it's kind of hard to forget the big display over there. So we're going to remind you of that every single day, not just around Christmas time. So we got that. Of course, Wednesday nights, um, a lot of awesome things happening on campus. We've got students. We've got a, a fantastic Wednesday night class for adults happening, and we've got a children's program back in full swing on Wednesday nights. Um, come, we'll feed you there too on Wednesday nights. You see what we're having there. And then, of course, the big thing coming up is FCA Coaches Day. We've got uh, teams coming throughout the area. We've got an awesome speaker, Coach Chan Gailey. I've um, heard him speak before. Just a really, really great speaker. It's going to be a great morning here at ALBC. Um, so without further ado, I'm going to pray us out and we can be dismissed. God, we are just so thankful again that we're able to come into your house and worship you. Worship a risen Savior, not just one who shared a little bit of truth and then died and then and then stayed in the grave, but you are a risen Savior reigning victoriously on the throne of heaven. And we are so thankful that we get to worship in that this morning because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all unworthy and we're all unequal, God, to worship you, yet you invite us to take part anyway. Be with us this week. God, let us go out and have an impact for your kingdom, not for ourselves, not for Airline Baptist Church, but for you. It's your name we pray. Amen.